The Future by Stefan Molyneux Chapter 2 Science fiction was kind of a forgotten genre, but David had still studied it as a young man in the same way some young men study Latin or come up with their own languages. Science fiction writers had been so spectacularly wrong, with one exception, that it had become a thoroughly discredited genre, akin to the rantings of of end-of-the-world prophets who supply a specific date, then lose followers and credibility as that date comes and goes. 500 years later, who remembers the false prophets? The fear of technology, so rampant in late 20th century and early 21st century science fiction, had been cruelly revealed as an elaborate psychological projection, a distraction from the real issues that faced mankind. The cliches and reuse of metaphor was endless. Mankind invented robots or computers designed to serve the species, which ended up dominating them and destroying the planet. Mankind fought desperate battles against endless waves of these slaves turned into masters, and sometimes they won, and sometimes they lost. But the stories proved so spectacularly wrong-headed that they were now generally viewed as about as believable as lurid tales of demonic possession causing epilepsy. Science fiction was a species of supernatural projection coming from an incredibly primitive mental mindset, dressed up in flashing lights and beeps, which helped distract mankind from the true dangers that almost took it down. Science fiction served power, not truth or prediction, or avoidance, as it tragically turned out. David was thinking of the science fiction of his youth because... He was now living it in middle age. One of his butt cheeks had turned numb, so he shifted in his chair, glancing at the bright orange clock numbers that floated above the bed. It had now been one hour since the injection, and he could begin to see eye movements under the paper-thin ancient eyelids. The oldest living human being he thought. His own father had lived to be almost 150, but had declined to upload his mind, saying that he had lived a full, long life and did not feel any need to squirt his consciousness into a supplementary flesh suit. This was not an uncommon decision, but it was sad, of course. David loved his father beyond measure, and love was in no shortage in the world. But he sometimes wondered if he would have loved his father as much, if the old man had clung to life. Nobody stays on a train at the end of the line, his father had murmured, his eyes widening as the dark embraced him. He did not believe in an afterlife, either for his own body or in a flesh suit. It would not be me, he had also said, and there were great significant, deep, and philosophical questions about how well an upload truly replicated the original person. Centuries ago, people would clone their dogs, but notice subtle differences between the original and the copy. It's 
a round peg in a square hole, his father had murmured. Maybe if we had done it when I was younger, it would be less jarring. But I can't imagine at my age waking up in a young body. My brain will be old. My limbs will be young. That's a crazy mismatch. I wouldn't be the same person. I'm 145 years old. I've spent the last 20 years being very delicate in my movements. It would be too strange to wake up with the strength and flexibility of a gymnast. But the terminal caution of an ancient brain... No one gives a jetpack to a half-blind man. It was kind of true. David's uncle had uploaded himself to a 20-year-old flesh suit, but still had an old man's habits. He ate gingerly, ran in a stilted, staggering manner, pondered too long, refused to turn his head too far, and still massaged his knees every time he sat down. It was always recommended that people upload before they got too old, but everyone liked to hang on to their own body and history for as long as possible. And who do you love as an old man in a young body? The kind of procedure David was witnessing now had long been abandoned. Most illnesses had been conquered, except old age, which had only been extended. It was hard to imagine that some future world would be better than the world of the present, so almost no one wanted to send themselves through an icy tunnel of time half a millennium forward. There had been much debate about waking up the old man in the bed. (laughs) That was another reason that ancient science fiction had been floating around David's mind. The cliché of bringing the monster to life! Was the old man in the bed monster? Ah, it was all so long ago. What should we think about current morals versus past beliefs? During the ancient days of slavery, how should we judge thinkers like Aristotle who justified the practice? Can ancient tyrannies be judged by modern standards? Can believers in a primitive religion be damned for child sacrifice or ritual rape? (sighs) David took a deep breath, noting that the orange numbers over the bed were beginning to ripple as the old man's breathing began to increase. Morality is a kind of technology, we are always told. And the problem of morality had only been solved in a general social sense over the past few hundred years. Could we judge a 15th century doctor for failing to prescribe penicillin when it was not going to be invented for another 400 years? Asking most people to reinvent morality beyond the habits and prejudices of the present is like asking them to reinvent physics. A few geniuses might be able to do it, but you might as well ask the masses to fly unaided. Is he a monster? Even more basically, why are we waking him up? David had opposed the idea. It would be too cruel to bring a man back to life so at odds with the present. How could he possibly fit in? In the past, he was the king of the world. In the present, billions will view him as a mere monster, a relic from a brutal time who helped lead the world to near extinction through the cataclysms. And 
the man in the bed had raised the sun who set fire to the world. It was actually the historians who won the day. Most of history is interpretation. We cannot directly access the minds of anyone in the past. If we wake him, we can upload him and put him back to sleep if we want, and then we can access his mind at our leisure and truly understand how much he was responsible, what he understood about the morality of his time, what his dreams were, how much he lied, what he truly believed. All of this can be unraveled, and more, things we haven't even imagined. It would be a crime against the humanities to leave such a treasure chest of a mind frozen for all time. Every judgment we make about the past is based on incomplete information. This is the only brain that survives from that time. It is our only chance to understand that world. It's not just about understanding the past. It's about ensuring that the past never returns, that we never go through the cataclysms again. David appreciated the moral sensitivity of the present as much as anyone. He lived in a world so perfect that it was inconceivable to people in the past, especially the science fiction writers who generally projected their own terrible childhoods and totally rational fears of authority onto monsters and robots and rogue computers. But moral sensitivity, when pushed to extremes, becomes intellectual paralysis. A few textbooks had survived the catastrophes of the old world, and they regularly castigated and snarled at the evils of historical figures. Should not the leaders of those days be held to the same standard they inflicted on others? (sighs) No. The ancient man in the bed had to be woken and examined in order to create a clear and unambiguous window into the world that was the world whose ferocious path almost led to the end of humanity and life itself. 10,000. The figure flew into David's mind like a lost arrow. It took him a moment to remember the reference. His body helped him out by providing a sudden chill. 10,000. That was the number of people left alive at the greatest depth of the last Ice Age. Yeah, I think it's pretty important to figure out the kind of thinking that led to the near decimation of our species. (laughs) There was always a great and rational fear that when people get to safety, they forget all the bad habits that led them to danger in the first place. It is true that the power vacuum theory has turned out to be utterly false. We tore down unjust authority, and no other unjust authority has risen to take its place. But that is only because we have fixed not only the childhood of our species, but the childhood of us as individuals. It turned out that power arose from powerlessness. The lust for control arose from a lack of control, and we have prevented that wound from forming in the first place. David leaned forward in his chair as the numbers above the bed increased and rippled. The old man half-snorted, but David held his hand over the ancient face, 
preventing the breath from tripping the alarm. David leaned over the bed, watching the grimaces drift over the old face like a sped-up view of clouds over a still lake. The crow's feet tangled in on themselves as a sudden squint crushed the eyes. Welcome back, old man. Oh, you paid a massive price to live this long. When you wake up to the world that is, I believe you will wish you had never gone to sleep or had slept forever. Because we are angry, and we are right to be so. We are angry that you decimated our ancestors and came within a hair's breadth of ending us all. We are angry at how painful the lesson was to tear ourselves free of the world that you made. The world that served you and people like you at our expense. The hypocrisy and brutality of the world of self-serving lies inflicted on the helpless young and captive populations. Wake up, you bastard. The day of reckoning is upon you. The old man's eyes opened. Chapter 3 Because she had once been surprised by monsters, she now spent her entire life surprising monsters in return. To be frank, there wasn't a whole lot for her to do, but what she did, which was important, she did because of the boys on the mountain. But that was years in the future. Her mother was a hiker, and her father was a grumbler. He so loved her company that he would drag himself along on her endless walks, talking about his theories and his love of history. She secretly guessed that her father's talking had turned into a kind of pleasant background noise for her mother, like crickets or distant thunder. Her name was Alice, and she had once had a sister named Ruth. Ruth had fallen from a high hay bale, had broken her neck and died immediately. Her parents had gone through a long, dark period of grieving, emerging only when her father's dark sense of humor pronounced the family to be totally ruthless. It was a dangerous joke, but sometimes a flash of bitter humor in the face of the dark gods of brutal circumstances can be more of an exorcism than a provocation. They had tried to have another child, but Alice's mother was in her forties, and although lifespans had been extended enormously, no technology had been found to rejuvenate a woman's eggs. There were almost no babies available for adoption, so they had contented themselves with their single remaining daughter, and through a prodigious effort of will they refrained from overprotecting her. They let her wander in the world of her own accord at a relatively early age. Her mother loved to walk, but her father loved to move, as in houses, locations, entire environments. The world is a dish of endless experiments. Who knows what we will like the best 
her father would say, before turning on the living globe and finger-pinching and chatting with various communities. <laughs> Look here. They're trying communal living again in what used to be India. You'd think they'd have learned from the last few thousand times. But hope springs eternal in the foolish heart. Good luck to them. Here, in New Thailand, they're trying collective parenting, which they have no excuse for. It's just a lazy way of saying, I don't want to kiss more people. He turned to his daughter. What is the problem with collective parenting? Alice already knew the answer. It was amazing how often her father forgot previous conversations. Because, Dad, we always tend to invest more in our own children. And if we don't know who our children are or don't care, those children tend to be uncared for. And what has been the most bitter and hard-won lesson of the last few hundred years? Alice sighed. Oh, it's all about the children. That's right. Everything. He spun the globe again, creating a minor tsunami on the perfect digital ocean. And here... uh, In one of the few remaining states, we have the Platonists, with their polygamy and children who sometimes end up marrying each other. They never come here. Their kids have a really tough time getting health insurance. Do you know that there's even a place in Malaysia with voluntary slavery? She shook her head, leaning forward with interest. Finally, a new story. Oh yes, pretty wild. Of course, no dispute resolution organization would ever enforce slavery. That was always and forever a government program. But if you want to voluntarily sign over your liberty, live for another person and not get paid... That's free will. That's still fine. I really do like the fact that people still experiment, (laughs) despite the fact that we absolutely know what works best. And I really do love documenting what's going on. Where should we try next? Her mother scowled, arguing with the coffee maker. I'm not entirely sure why it remains our job to document every idiotic experiment that some hidebound tribals get into. Because, he sighed, it's all beginning to converge, you know. You can see that. You, can, you have access to the same globe that I do. He put the heels of his hands together, then spread his fingers apart to form a V. It really is the end of history, or of wildly disparate cultures, I guess, in the same way that the old internet was the end of the Pony Express or the Telegraph or whatever they were using before that. I really should know that, and I can't remember at the moment. We're all coming together, everyone, all over the world. The simplicity and purity and liberty is spreading like someone dumped a can of baked beans on the hot pan of the universe. (laughs) He spread his hands. Are you hungry? His wife asked mildly. You never make those kinds of analogies when you're full. I could eat, he replied. A little stingily, his daughter thought. It all sounds like he is making a concession to what she wants, rather than just admitting that he is hungry. Alice learned with her parents. They were both chatty and usually took pleasure in discussing what they were doing. Her father explained how he helped enforce the laws and resolve disputes, going over all his contracts, complexities, and resolutions. Alice's mother was an expert in child development and spent half her days creating presentations on peaceful parenting, the idea that children should be raised without punishments, and transmitting them to the few societies that still survived by abusing children. When it came to answers, her mother was more efficient. Her father kept going back in time for his explanations to the point where everything he tried to get her to understand ended up with lightning creating life in a primordial soup. One morning, Alice's mother gestured at some geese flying in a V formation past the window outside. What is the same between us and animals? Daddy says we are animals. 
Her mother sighed. She stopped doing her hand gestures in the cloudy brain of the cooking bot, turned around, and smiled. We haven't spent as much time around animals as I would have liked, but you know how your father loves to travel, so... This will take a minute or two, but it's really important, so dinner can wait. Alice ducked her head slightly. Where's Dad? Her mother grinned. (laughs) Not close enough to interrupt and extend this explanation to infinity, if that's what you mean. Alice stared at her mother. I have no idea what you were talking about. She laughed. (laughs) Quite right. You are a human being, of course, who's had little experience with animals, so you might think of a human being as like a super animal or an animal with a bigger brain or more language or less hair or whatever. But that's not really the case. Alice frowned. Animals have brains and language and hair. It's just a difference of of more or less, not a difference of degree, not of kind. Is that what you mean? She shrugged. Yeah, I think so. The cooking bot drifted over. Meal instructions are incomplete. Continue. Delay dinner 30 minutes. You bet. Alice's dad had set the bot to colloquial, which mildly annoyed everyone except him and the bot, of course. Alice's mom sat heavily on the plump grey couch, which promptly informed her that her body fat composition had increased 0.6%. Should the cooking bot be informed? Blushing slightly, she muttered a comment about her husband trolling her with the furniture settings. Switch body calibration to male pattern baldness, she murmured before turning back to her daughter. Honey, she paused. It's strange, like when you have to explain a word you know very well, but don't know how to define it? Sorry, maybe we should get your father. No, said Alice, perhaps a shade too quickly. You, you do it, Mom. She sighed. Well, I suppose it has to do with all these bots and machines and computers that surround us and, and keep us alive, really. Keep us fed and sheltered and healthy. You know, for most of human history, people did all the brute labor themselves. You know how we go hiking in these remote areas with nothing but trees and mountains and, if your father has his way, half unpassable swamps? Alice nodded. Well, think of the very olden days, before all of this. People, to be accurate, usually men, well, almost always men. I have to include a couple of women because I'm sure it was possible, though I can't think of any. Mom! Yes, (laughs) sorry. Well, imagine having to clear an acre of that land by hand. Alice's eyes were wide. By hand? Yeah, I know it's a little odd. We don't really use that phrase anymore. It's kind of ancient by now. But you need to know where we came from as a culture. I mean, okay, you would have a metal blade tied to a long stick called an axe, and you would have to chop the trees down with that and find some way to dig up all the roots. Honestly, I have no idea how that was done. And then you would have to chop up all the wood into long, flat sticks, no idea what they were called, and then tie them together into some kind of hut or or, or cabin. Then you would have to cut a hole in the roof for the smoke to get out, because it would be cold, of course, and you would need to have a fire. And then you would have to plant all the seeds by hand and and find some way to keep all the birds from eating your crops and, and, and deal with the insects. Oh, it was quite mad. Worse than an animal existence in some ways, because at least animals don't have to clear all the land of trees and roots that go down like forever. (laughs) Anyway, it was unbelievably hard to get food and shelter, and people worked all day and kept animals. And there wasn't a single computer or, or robot or bot, which meant that most human beings had to be like machines. 
And do you know how your father in particular loves taking apart these machines and figuring out how they work and imagining that he can program them to make them better? Well, that was kind of how it was for most of human history, almost all of it. People had to be kind of taken apart and put back together so they could be more easily owned and controlled in the same way that we own and control our machines. But machines aren't bothered by being servants and don't want to be free. They don't even know what that means. They don't think or dream. But, but human beings don't like being servants or slaves. So there was always this tension between the rulers and the citizens. Animals don't enslave each other. For most of human history, most people were treated as if they were livestock. And that's how we started, like animals, without slaves. And then we had slaves for tens of thousands of years. And then we became like the animals again and gave up enslaving each other, which is what your dad meant when he said we are animals. <laughs> Gosh, this is turning into quite the history lesson. Does this make any sense to you at all? Alice cocked her head, meaning both yes and no. Not the livestock stuff so much. I get that it was tough to clear the land, you said. I can't really imagine not having any machines, having to do all of that yourself by hand. Yeah, that's... I can't, I can't imagine. But what is the difference between a servant and, and, and a slave? And what were those words? Rulers and, and what citizens? No idea what that means. Alice's mother pursed her lips. Cookie, I would like a coffee, please. The cooking bot whirred into action, and Alice was vaguely relieved that her father was not around, otherwise her parents would get into a mild disagreement about the appropriateness of being polite to machines. Alice's mother hated being interrupted, so she waited until Cookie deposited the coffee into her hand, with the words, Does your husband want one? inscribed on the foam. She smiled. Don't quote me on this to some expert, but I think a servant is someone who works for you and can't quit, but is still paid. A slave is someone you force to work for you and don't pay, at least directly. You give him or her a place to live, some food and health care if needed, but you don't pay wages. Why wouldn't a slave just run away? Alice's mother put down her coffee cup and leaned back into the couch, crossing her legs. Ah, well... Because in the past, there was a small group of individuals who controlled, who controlled really most of the guns, the, the weapons, the law, the courts, prisons, schools, money, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I could remember better when I was younger. And this group would catch the slaves and return them back to their owners. And in fact, they would even force the citizens the people who lived under the rule of this small group but weren't direct slaves, to patrol, to, to walk around making sure there weren't any slaves who had escaped and catch them and return them if they had. And no, they weren't paid either. They were just forced to do this by this group of individuals. What the heck? murmured Alice in wonder. That's insane. Yes, it was, but what do you mean by that word? How big was this group of individuals who, who, who were in charge? Her mother shrugged. Hard to say. Depends on how you counted them. There was a very small group in charge of the money. They were really the most important. They could just create whatever cash they wanted out of thin air. What? How could that be allowed? Why, why didn't the DROs put a stop to it? 
Oh, there weren't any dispute resolution organizations back then. So how did people resolve their disputes, their, their disagreements? Her mother got up, walked into the kitchen, and dropped her coffee cup into the waving dishwasher tentacles. Sadly, not very well, which is why everything had to change. The cataclysms, murmured Alice. Her mother shot her a sharp look. Where did you hear that word? Alice shrugged. Some kid at the playground? A boy, of course, sighed her mother. He was playing a game he called Cataclysm, where... Her mother held up a hand. That's nothing you play a game about. Seriously, please don't get involved in anything like that. And let me know if you see that boy again. I really need to talk to his parents. Seeing the look on her daughter's face, she added, I know it's awkward and maybe a little embarrassing, but it's really important to not turn anything like that into a game. That, that was a pretty terrible thing that happened in the world, and it actually went on for quite a long time. And we will get to that topic at some point in the future. <laughs> but for right now, I want you to enjoy the fruits of all that suffering. And here is your father! She finished with obvious relief. When Alice was in her early teens her family moved to be near the mountains. It was pretty easy to change locations, just program the coordinates into the house, and off you went. She was drawn to raw nature, the mirror image of her mother who preferred every convenience that modernity could provide. The first day they settled after one of her father's incomprehensibly short 15-minute naps, they all went on a family hike. Her father loved to combine personal jetpacks with the sky trampolines, which looked impossibly dangerous, but was actually almost perfectly safe. Airbots would create and dissolve sky trampolines that you could bounce forward from. You could move incredibly fast when you got good at it. And if you stumbled or missed, your jetpack would write you immediately and return you to the waiting trampoline. It was a tiring way to travel, so they took a few breaks, but covered a good distance before starting their hike deep in the woods at the base of Mount Cheshire, so named because it had a wide gully that looked like a secret smile. All right, enough technology, let's do it old school, grunted her sweaty father. The air was sweet. The thinning pine trees swayed overhead, and other than the faint contrails of stratospheric sky trampolines, the air above was perfectly clear. Alice's mother had a bug bot floating around her. Alice and her father declined, since his argument was that an immune system needed as much exercise as the heart and legs. It was a bit of a self-serving argument, because for some reason the bugs always swarmed his wife anyway. Alice suddenly wanted to ask her father how many people were left in the world. The word popped into her mind, unbidden, left. It was a strange word to think of, because her life and the lives of everyone she knew were perfectly pleasant and free of trauma. But she couldn't help but think of everyone's reaction to the word cataclysms. There was something faintly ominous in the S at the end of the word, a time so terrible that it had to be plural. One cataclysm couldn't capture it all. The family paused at a lookout panting. They nodded politely towards a small cluster of floating VR eyes, most of which nodded back. No mouths or ears appeared, so there wasn't really anything to say. Probably some old people who couldn't make the climb directly, but liked the view. 
The pine trees stretched as far as the eye could see, like a creaking sea of ragged green teepees. Occasional threads of smoke rose from the fires of campers. Her father nodded towards the setting sun. There used to be lines cut all through the forests, everywhere, so they could drive ground cars. It's hard to imagine why anyone would want to carve up all this beauty, but I guess that's all they had at the time. These cars were powered by dinosaur juice hundreds of millions of years old. Like the ancient monsters had come back to life, carrying people from place to place, the oldest horses in the known universe. The setting sun was drawing out her father's poetic side, but Alice didn't mind. There was a distant flare in the deepening blue sky as a jetpack saved a stumbling skyjumper. Alice tried not to be annoyed that her father had a habit of shading his eyes when examining the horizon, even when the light was failing. I wouldn't give up anything that we have achieved, he murmured. And it would be crazy to even consider it because of the sacrifices. We lost so much to be where we are. And maybe we don't have music that is quite as good, but we don't have war. And there's almost no crime, no violence. We found the cure for that, of course, but the cost. The shadows of the pine trees lengthened as the sun went down. The city lights in the crescent of the moon glowed faintly. They would have traveled there years ago, or to the sea cities, but Alice was scared of deep water, and her mother hated deep space. What I like the most these days, said her mother, is that there's nothing that is about to end. When I read or watch about the old days before, she shivered, there was always a sense that everyone was caught in this giant machinery that was slowly pulling everything apart. I can't imagine what it would be like to wake up every day and read the news, the latest events, the latest dictates, more restrictions, more craziness, more inflation, price changes, knowing that things were just going so out of control that there was really nothing to be done except try and get away or or, or wait it out, which, thank heaven, some people did. Or Her mother trailed off, as parents generally do when the topics get most interesting. They watched for a moment in silence as the landscape darkened further. The sunset lit the tops of the pine trees, turning them into glowing, endless orange cones. Two by two, the VRIs winked out. A mouth with a bristly white moustache appeared for a moment, and an ancient voice reminded them to watch their step as they walked down. Then that vanished as well. As the half-sun appeared to be eaten by the distant, jagged teeth of the pine trees, a distant festival of sky-dancing sketched glowing trails like lazy fireworks under the brightening stars. Alice's father gestured at the landscape before them, perhaps at the entire world. At least that's what it seemed. Everything we have, we inherited from suffering. The cataclysms were the worst thing in human history, when we were almost done. He turned to Alice, two slivers of sunset embedded on the right side of his pale blue eyes. 
And when we finally learned that it all starts with you, we got all of this beauty and peace. Alice shivered slightly, and the sun disappeared.